This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra as always with James from Gunner Blog. James. I'm driving home for Christmas. Oh, I can't wait to see those faces. Sorry, I, I thought we'd just get into this in a, you know, nice jaunty way. I was, I was thinking <laughs> like... Uh, I was thinking, uh, were the lyrics suddenly going to change to sort of badly mourn? You know? No, no, no. Do you know uh, what? I was thinking when they played that yesterday, I was it bothered me, you know? Um, we lose the way we did yeah. to Man City. But then I considered, you know, potentially a, uh, a Gunnar Blog Lewis Capaldi version of that might be might be entertaining. True. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's more festive, actually, if anything. Yes. Uh, if not uh, more alarming also. It certainly is. <laughs> uh, more explaining to do to the neighbours. Yeah. Uh, well, listen, we at least we didn't start recording an hour ago and get beaten by the Mikel Arteta hex again. Once more, there are pictures doing the rounds this morning of Vinay and Husfami and an Arsenal delegation um, emerging from Mikel Arteta's house mm. last night. So it seems complicated, no? In the sense that... Um, they, they had were, him right there. He was in London. He was like they were at the stadium. So what happened? Um uh, they obviously went back home. Man City went back to Manchester. I assume they flew to Manchester. Did the Arsenal executives then fly to Manchester to go to Mikel Arteta's house? Did he Did he have party food? That's my big question. At this time of the year... Mince pies. Yeah, did he get out the old pigs in blankets? This is this is the important stuff that we need to know. Yeah, yeah. Well, and... and, and it was Vinay and Huss, apparently, yeah. according to reports. Mm, I also heard that um, Raoul was involved somewhere, but maybe he was in the boot of the car. Maybe he didn't want to be seen. Maybe he he's via an underground tunnel. Or maybe he stayed the night. Could have stayed the night in uh, Mikkel's... Maybe it went, what, the talks went so well yeah. that he stayed over. Yeah, he's in the box room, waking up now this morning going, oh, that was nice sleep. What do you... Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it, yeah, it's... 
it's interesting timing. Sky Sports News, by the way, mm-hmm. um, they breaking news. They understand that Mikel Arteta is the leading candidate to become Arsenal's new manager. I don't know how they do it. It's amazing, isn't it? They're just such a well-sourced organisation. They get these stories out of nowhere that nobody knows anything about and mm. they blindside us with this information. I it's uh, I'm bowled over consistently. But um, <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting timing, isn't it? The club have uh, delivered a firm no comment, mm. as you would expect. Um but yes, I mean, I have to be honest, I am raising a quizzical eyebrow at the timing of this, coming off the back of a, a match and the fallout of a match in which Arsenal faced a lot of criticism for seemingly not really having a plan. The fact that their plan is now quite public is interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, it was suggested to me last night that news on the new... Mm, that's not right. News on the position would be imminent. So mm. it wasn't a case that news on whoever the new man is is going to be imminent. It's like news on what's going on is going to be imminent. So yeah. whether it was a new man or whether it was like, oh, we can't get the man we want until the end of the season, so Freddie's going to stay in charge, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But there were also some rumours you know, going around last week that this game um, was going to be uh, one after which a decision might be likely. Mm-hmm. And given that Arteta is the man in the frame, it was one of those where nothing could happen before. Yes, yeah. in fairness. I think that's, I think that's right. Um, and, and, you know, we've got a week without a midweek game now. Mm. So it feels like an opportune time to do something. I mean, Freddie, in his last two press conferences, has been pretty straightforward in essentially saying, do me a favour, guys, give yeah. me some coaches or yeah. something. Yeah, either, you know, make a decision and bring the new man in or let me have some coaches because he's basically working with Per Mertesacker and, and the reserve team or the, the under-23 goalkeeping coach, Sal Bibbo. Mm. They mm. were the only people that he had. And I think Lewis Ambrose made a very good point yesterday on Twitter that a head coach has a team of coaches around him. It's not just one guy um, with the academy manager and a goalkeeping coach. That is not how it works at a serious football club. And I think Freddie's been absolutely right to be upfront about what's going on, even if he doesn't know, which is, you know, it seems to be the case that he hasn't had much clarity. You know, he's not been shy about coming forward to saying uh, to say that this needs to be sorted out. You know, because I think first and foremost, whatever happens, um, Freddie wants what's best for for Arsenal, for the football club. Mm. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, it's not straightforward, is it? Because uh, I guess Arsenal didn't want to appoint a load of staff thinking that they might have to let them go. You know, uh, after, after a few weeks, after bringing somebody in. But it has been... However many days it's been since Emery went, you know, coming on for three weeks now. Yeah. Uh, it's plenty of time to arrive at this point. I mean, maybe, yes, this Man City game was kind of a milestone we needed to reach for something to happen. But uh, if that is the case, I am very glad because my feeling coming out of the match yesterday was one of, well, we look somewhat directionless here and, mm. you know, <laughs> it's very worrying. Somewhat is is very diplomatic of you, I have to say. Uh, we look yeah. c- completely rudderless. And and let's be clear about this. Let's before we talk more about the the Arteta and the new coach and all that kind of stuff that that's inevitably going to dominate the, the podcast. I think it's fair to say nobody had any great expectations of Arsenal 
winning yesterday or even taking anything from the game, I would have been delighted with a point, right? Mm. Um, And that tells you a lot about where we are in comparison to Manchester City. But I felt very sad watching the game yesterday because, you know, it wasn't long ago that um, even with City's financial might um, and the weight of that... um, system behind them, um, which has, you know, transformed them into one of the, the biggest clubs in the world. Um, and we all know how it happened and where the money's come from and all that kind of stuff. You know, the games between Arsenal and Manchester City were relatively competitive. And, mm. you know, they were on an upward trajectory. We were on a slightly slow downward trajectory. We've gone off a cliff now. The difference between us and City is it's just... It's unbelievable. Not even to the point where you could say it's going to take us a long time to get where they are. It's going to take a long time to just be competitive again, just to even give them a bit of a game. Mm. And and the the worst thing about yesterday was just the second half. You know, the yeah. the referee could have gone in at halftime and said, "Look, how about we how about we call it a night here?" Nobody would have argued. Because it was the most pointless half of football I think I can remember in many years. They never, they never had to get out of second gear, and we mm. never did anything but sort of chug along in neutral, whatever it was. And it was, you know, if you need any evidence of how far we've fallen in recent years, it was, it was that game. Very true. I mean, we've now lost our last five meetings against Man City, which I think is our our worst run against a top flight opponent since the mid eighties, mm. since about nineteen eighty five. It's a it's a really um it was a very stark kind of realization of where we are as compared to mm. the big teams. And City have done that to us a few times quite recently. I mean you think of the the League Cup final, for example, last season it was kind of uh, similar in some respects and uh, yeah we just looked miles off and and also I'm not really sure given our limitations I mean let's be clear teams who are worse than City have taken points off them this season yeah you know you think of Norwich or I'm sure there are plenty of others Wolves Man United well, yeah, exactly. Man United very recently um but we didn't really have much of a plan it looked like to me it wasn't quite clear if we were pressing or if we were sitting or you know it it just wasn't coherent and I sympathize with Freddie because as we say he's not really got the coaching staff he's not had a vast amount of time with the players because we've had so many fixtures but yeah it wasn't good and we are you know I think I think what it made me think is this season much like the second half of that game was a write-off. Part of me thinks the second half of this season is a bit of a write-off, whatever happens with the head coach situation. Yeah, I think so too, apart from the Europa League. Mm. You know, I think that is something we're going to have to, we're going to have to focus on. We're going to have to try and salvage something from our season. And that's really the only thing that or the FA Cup, you know, would give us, um, you know, some tangible um, success at the end of the season, even if it's, you know, a long way from what people want us to be. Those are the realities. But I do think, yeah, we have to look at our season and and, and really take stock. We'll probably talk about that in a moment. But um, should we talk about the game a little bit, uh, even yeah. in the first half? Um, you know, I I did quite like the opening 45 seconds. They were all right. They were good. Gabriel Martinelli showing 
pace and power and desire and intent and drive and endeavour down the left-hand side. Um, won us a corner, got our got our only shot on target in the first 40 seconds, whatever I mean, it was. That's crazy, isn't it? Isn't you know? it, though? Isn't it just... Um, one it, shot on lead target. That's our uh, joint fewest that we've had in a Premier League game at the Emirates Stadium. Um, I mean, yeah, not good. But... That, I, I did enjoy that moment and just to sort of, <laughs> you know, revel in those 45 seconds. Um, we've got to find joy where we can. It's, it was I, I ridiculous. Do, so I was sitting there going, well, this is actually, that's a good way to start the game from an yeah, Arsenal yeah. point of view. Like at least it's, you know, it, it might get the crowd going a bit. You know, if you could follow that up with a, a bit of possession and maybe another shot, whatever it might be. Okay, so still a long shot, but, you know, it would be something. But to concede then within 60 seconds was just, it was ridiculous. It was, and it was so interesting. I was sat next to Sam Lee, who covers Man City, and he was telling me, look, Man City, they've not been brilliant going forward in recent weeks. They've not really been that penetrative. Um, but the way in which they managed to sort of outmanoeuvre us and sort of break our mm. half-hearted press, it was so straightforward for them uh, in that first half. And the first goal is a, is a great example. I mean... I mean, Pepe and then Chambers oh. sort of don't get near their man, do they? Pepe is bad. Like, it's... Remember we used to criticise Danielson for waving a leg at yeah. a tackle? Pepe doesn't even really do that. You know, he just lets mm. the guy run past him. Um, I think Chambers has caught his lack of pace. Um, allows... Uh, it was Gabriel Jesus, wasn't it, down the, down the left to get yeah. beyond him, pulls the ball back. Um... Martinelli knackered himself out in the first 45 seconds. Yeah, you know, look, um, yeah, if you want to be hypercritical of him, I'm just looking at the starting positions here. Um, I mean, there are other players who could be picking up that run. I mean, I would argue that, you know, De Bruyne's playing kind of Mm. in an advanced midfield role, it's as much the responsibility of a Ganduzi or a Torreira. Yeah, if you have a look at Torreira, actually, you know, he never really has a look behind him to see what's what's going yeah. on. A great finish. Oh, unbelievable finish. I think, I don't know that it's unbelievable. I think it's a very good finish, but the way they were talking about it yesterday on the TV was like he'd somehow done a triple back somersault and a half pike and scissor kicked the ball into the net like it was the most difficult thing in the world. I know a bouncing ball, um, you know, can can prove a little bit problematic. It's a great finish. I'm not taking that away from it. I just, um, I just think a player of the technical ability of, of De Bruyne uh, is well capable of that. I don't know why anyone would be surprised by it, to be perfectly honest. No, um, I mean, there's no surprise. I didn't have the TV commentary, but there was no mm. surprise, but it was still... Mm. Uh, it, I, I suppose, again, it was startling because I sort of thought, I don't know how many of our players are putting that away. Not not in that emphatic fashion. Sure. Anyway, it, was, it was pretty uh, sure. emphatic. Well, but he is he is brilliant. He is, he is un, yeah, he's unreal. He's, he's very, very fantastic good. Fantastic player. He really is. So the second goal, um, again... Our, our our press, if you want to call it that, was... Um, this was a great example of just how we were just picked apart from deep so easily by Man City. Yeah. Um, um, I've actually forgotten a bit about this goal. Remind okay, well, uh, it starts, I think, deep in their half Yeah. where Ganduzi gets kind of suckered in a bit on the mm. right-hand side. Um, so we had possession. I think Pepe played it into Aubameyang... Um, 
he didn't get near it. So City have the ball at the back, passing it around. Genduzi steps forward and then gets bypassed. One pass then dissects Maitland-Niles and Torreira. De Bruyne keeps running. Um, Maitland-Niles, Torreira and Chambers are all sort of there in body, if not much spirit, uh, because they don't do enough to to stop the cross from De Bruyne. He puts it across. Kolasinac has no idea where where Sterling is. I know he's, he's um, what's the word? Uh, he's affected a little bit by the deflection and Sterling tucks it away. So, you know, just really, really poor. It's, it's, it's players not doing the basics, um, not doing enough when they get themselves into positions where they can um, potentially do the basics. Uh, Kolasinac has a look yeah, he does have know. a look early on, but then he loses track. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Torreira has got a difficult job. He dives in, doesn't get mm. the ball, and then he sort of has he, move, he leaves his man because Ganduzi is essentially out of the game, and that leaves De Bruyne free. Mm. And I think on both goals, I mean, Callum Chambers, I think, has performed to a, an okay level this season. I think better than most of our defenders, but mm. I think on the first two goals, you see that if someone sort of knocks the ball past him. And, and goes after it they're going to get it nine times out well, of ten well yeah and if they have any pace that's for yeah, sure you know yeah. and that's the, you know a real problem for us you didn't have TV obviously and there was an interesting comment from Jamie Carragher on the co-commentary and he said um, I can't remember the exact context of the first part but his bottom line was Arsenal just have bad defenders mm. They have bad defenders. We can't defend as a team. We're not organised well enough, but also we have bad defenders. And I think that's true. You know, we know Maitland-Niles doesn't want to play right back. Um, Kolasinac, you know, I don't really think is a great defender. Chambers was sort of the best of a bad lot in terms of centre-half or how we perceived our centre-halves, but you look at what happened yesterday and some of the goals we've conceded this season where where he just hasn't quite been strong enough or, or quick enough or, you know, in the right area or hasn't read the game well enough. You know, I think, you know, you've got to ask serious questions about his future. Socrates has been poor this season. Uh, Luis has been poor this season. Mustafi, we know all about Mustafi. You know, that's, that's a Mavropanos motley crew. Mavropanos will save us, Andrew. Mavropanos yeah. will save us. Well, I hope so. Mavropanos <laughs> and Saliba forever. You know, so, I mean, there, I mean, is, there is that to yeah. it. But I do also think players can do um, do their jobs better. Should be able to do their jobs better. Um, of course, yeah. I mean, I thought exactly the same, that the, the, the defence looked bad on paper. I mean, that back four, Maitland-Niles, Kolasinac, Chambers, Socrates can't have filled anyone with any confidence you know we lost Kolasinac as well and then you put Saka into that back four it becomes even weaker arguably but as we say all the time there are teams with less talented personnel than us who make a better fist of defending than we do yeah Uh, and we do have quite bad defenders um, but we could organise them a lot better well, yeah, we could and protect them better. That is a very good point. I was going to bring that up now because um, I'm curious as to your thoughts on the midfield situation as well. Because uh, I listened to Carraher talk about how we've got bad defenders, and I, I can't argue with that one bit. But then I was thinking we've also got a bad midfield. We've got, yes. a, you know, and I've. Uh, 
I accept Gendouzi's only 20. And I know Torreira is um, a signing that we all had high hopes for. Granit Xhaka has been Granit Xhaka for, for years. Um, Danny Ceballos this season's Dennis Suarez so far. Um, Joe Willock's still a kid. We don't have a midfield um, to offer that protection to a, a ramshackle back four. Um, so I'm I'm curious as to your thoughts on what we got from Ganduzi and Terrari yesterday. Ganduzi in particular, um, I don't want to be critical of him again because of his age and because a lot has been put on him. And he's not one necessarily that shirks responsibility or anything like that, but I just wonder if he's getting into some bad habits. Yeah, I mean... I- <laughs> I think there have been some bad habits present in his game since the start. And for me, it's as much that he's not quite shaking them off as quickly as you might hope. But he is young and we are talking about his second season in the Premier League. So I think it's important to kind of add that caveat. What yeah. You know, people say we have a bad midfield. They say we have bad defenders, but they say we have a bad midfield. I think that's because we recognise there are positive attributes and, and some decent footballers we think in that little collection but mm. there's no balance that's for sure there's no sense of a partnership that works no or, or any kind of understanding I mean if you think you know the, the great Arsenal teams of the last 20 or so years mm. Petit, Vieira you know Vieira and Gilberto even a partnership that's maybe less celebrated but something like Fabregas and Flamini the sort of delineation of responsibility and the balance was right mm. and Arsenal just don't get that right time after time I mean I will say and Freddie Jungberg's hands are slightly tied in terms of his selections at the moment I think injuries are yeah. limiting his options but I also feel that playing let's say Meza Ozil ahead of those two against Manchester City it leaves them with a lot to do and we've seen that before like we've seen Ozil have games against Man City where it has really not worked and and yet here we are back doing it again you know yeah that's fair that's fair um there was a moment i think in um the early on in the second half mm. where De Bruyne, I'm pretty sure it was De Bruyne, was down the right-hand side, their right-hand side, and he, right. he played this uh, he played this pass. Oh, here it is. I'm just watching. It's the 52nd minute. Mm. And he played a pass into, uh, from almost the touchline, just played a square ball back inside, um, and there is literally nobody there. Yeah. Nobody. There's Torreira trying to get back. Socrates, Saka and Genduzi were all over on the right-hand side. It ended up with, I think, uh, Jesus having a shot over the bar. But it was like, where, where is everyone? Mm. What, why, why is there nobody there? And there was a great moment. Uh, again, I don't know if you saw this. I think it was when Socrates put Chambers under pressure with a couple of really dodgy passes and Chambers ended up losing the ball and then I think he might have got back to make yeah. a block or something like that and on the TV they, they're showing a replay of it and then they show a replay of, of Freddy and he's sort of going what the fuck what Jesus and he's like putting his hands on his head like he just cannot believe what it is that he's seeing he's like 
is is incredulous the look on his face and people will say that's his job to coach them etc cetera, etc cetera. you know I think we have to take some distance from that because, you know, we've said he doesn't have any coaching staff. He hasn't had a great deal of time. He's also trying to work with a team that's that's basically broken. So I'm not putting that necessarily on him, but but we so badly need somebody to come in and get this team organized, doing the basics right, using common sense at all times throughout the 90 minutes in every aspect of the game. Because we get caught out on all kinds of stuff, you know, week in, week out. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But just the, just the, yeah. the sheer lack of organization is, is astonishing. It's almost like these players are, are kind of going out there and playing for themselves rather than within any kind, within any kind of structure. Just a bunch of blokes, I think Tim Stillman said on Twitter <laughs> about our tactics. And, I, and I, I know exactly what he means. I mean, something... Lee Dixon talks about is the idea that the the really successful teams often have a basic triangle so of two centre halves and a guy in front and that you build from that that should be like the basis the heart of any football team and I think even when you look at Arsene Wenger's most successful attacking sides we see that in Arsenal's history you see it in Manchester City with uh, when they've got everybody fit Fernandinho there in front of the two centre halves mm. or, or Fabinho at Liverpool I don't think Arsenal... I know that the players we have are not performing to the requisite level, but I don't think we have that guy. I really don't. And I I don't think it's Shaka. And I'm I'm not convinced at all that it's Torreira, that he's the sort of linchpin that you can completely mm. build your midfield around. I think he's a great sort of auxiliary player, quite handy. But, I, I you know, in terms of recruitment and the players that we lack you know we have bad defenders but I don't necessarily think we have the midfielder we need either and I'm not saying Unai was right bring me Steven and Zonzi necessarily but we do need something there Mm. so when I talk about organization and doing um doing things right doing things Mm. with common sense I think the third goal for Man City really really sums this up and it was something Freddie talked about after um, after the game where people were critical of Saka not being ready to come on perhaps that's a valid argument but you know he's a he's a he's a winger it's the first half you're not expecting him to come on at left back and Kolasinac got injured quite quickly but you know his point about how you need to sit down and wait until the player is ready to come on I think is really, really valid. Mm-hmm. And Kolasinac could not get off the pitch quick enough. Yeah. Couldn't wait to get off the pitch. You know, he knew what kind of a day it was going to be. And he was like, fuck it. I am out of here. My yeah. ankle just got turned over. It's sore. But get me off this pitch and into a fucking warm jacket and, you know, get me a cup of tea, whatever it was. And I think Freddie is right to point that out. But I also think that on the pitch, there were other players who had... Um, just didn't use their brains because City threw the ball back to us and Leno had it at his feet. And what he should have done is kick the ball straight back out for a throw-in to allow us to make the sub. And we have on the pitch, we've got Aubameyang, we've got Ozil, we've got Socrates, we've got experienced players who know what should be done in that situation. Even Leno himself. Just kick it out, 
wait for the guy to be ready and come on. Maybe it wouldn't have, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I don't think it would have changed um, the result or anything like that. But I'm just saying that, we're, you know, it's an, another example of how when it comes right down to it, we don't do the things that other teams do as a matter of course. It's like when we get caught with a quick free kick and stuff like that because we've turned our backs and we're like, oh, that's never a free kick. And all of a sudden they're in on goal like we conceded the other week. Remember? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it's uh, criminal really, isn't it? I mean, it's so naive on Arsenal's part and I don't think you can blame Saka. I mean, he was sent out to warm up as soon as Kolasinac went down and the last thing you want really is a guy coming on cold and then you get another injury. He's got to get himself ready, but we should have been able to withstand or or at least manage that situation much, much better than we did. Mm. Um, I mean, to be fair, even with what we have on the field and even with the ball in play, I, I would argue the defending's still pretty bad. I mean, you know, Ganduzi really does get the wrong side of the ball and it gets turned painfully easily, really. Way too um, easy. Yeah. And he tries to foul and doesn't get there. It's another very good finish, but that's what he does. If you give him the space and the time, he'll punish you, mm. you know. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, Chambers and Ganduzi sort of both pointed at each other after the ball went in. There was not really... It, it just wasn't pretty. You know, even with 10 men, yeah. I think we should make a better fist of it. Than For that. sure. For sure. Um, before we go on to talk about the second half and, you know, the only moment in the second half that's really worth talking about, can we just have a moment uh, again to to give some props to Bernd Leno? I saw oh, what a save that was. A, a unbelievable save, the one that he, he tipped onto the post. But I saw um, a tweet during the rounds. Uh, I do have it here, so bear with me. Okay, it's from the official Premier League account, and it's 2019-20 most saves. Mm. Burn Leno, number one with seventy three mm. saves. The yeah. the next is sixty four, sixty three, sixty two, and sixty. Number sixty four is uh, sixty four saves. Martin Dubravka of Newcastle United, Matt Ryan of Brighton on sixty three. Aaron Ramsdale, who every time I hear his name, I just have this little ping in my heart because I think maybe. <laughs> um, on 62 saves, he plays for Bournemouth. Bournemouth, yeah. And Tim Cruel of Norwich on 60. So Newcastle, Brighton, Bournemouth and Norwich. Uh, you know, and top of the charts are Arsenal in terms of, you know, the goalkeeper that we, mm. we have. Did you read, um, I think Amy did a good piece um, with, with, um, with Jens Lehmann. Yeah. It was a very interesting piece about um, goalkeeping and Bernd Leno and how he wants Leno to be a bit more bit more of an organiser, a bit more yeah. aggressive. And I, you know, I think that's that's probably um, not unreasonable. But in the absence of that, or until that's something he develops, you know, he's kind of a man under fire week in, week out, isn't he? Mm. He is. And, and that might come for him. I mean, I know he's very experienced, but in the life of a goalkeeper, he's still relatively mm. young. And I sort of don't blame him for kind of... Uh, maybe slightly losing the will to live a little bit between the sticks for Arsenal. I mean, it is a nightmarish task that he faces. Um, but yeah, he, he has been fantastic. And I know, you know, there was some slight criticism of him yesterday for not putting the ball out, for example, in the build-up to the third goal. But the saves he's made yeah. are 
extraordinary. And that one from De Bruyne, I mean, it was a, a brilliant shot and I think an even better save, really, to keep it out. Yeah, really um, was. Um, so, yeah, but grateful to him uh, as usual. I think he'll be, I honestly think he'll be the player of the season come May. I, I, <laughs> he's on course for it. He sure is. But, like, it's not because... Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all know the reasons why. It's a protest vote, kind yeah, of thing. Kinda. Yeah, kind of. It's just like the reason he's been such a fantastic signing for us is because everything in front of him is so poor. You know, I would much prefer, and I'm sure he would too. You know, to to be uh, far less busy than he is, and um, you know, conceding goals. It must be, it must be quite demoralizing. You know, within, you go into a game as a goalkeeper and go, maybe today, maybe today's the day we keep a clean sheet. You know, I can play my part, but perhaps the guys in front might, you know, chip in a little bit themselves and give me a hand here. Oh, 90 seconds in and we're 1-0 down. Like, of course. Yeah. Anyway, look, hopefully he can keep his head high. Hopefully. Hopefully. I mean, yeah, it, it must be difficult. It must be difficult because goalkeepers prize clean sheets and for all his brilliant performances he's not getting any of those Mm. so um, second half as we said um, was not particularly memorable in any way apart from Freddie's decision to take off Mesut Ozil um, in the what was it 50 something 59th minute yeah Um, he wanted more energy in midfield (laughs) yeah that's quite a pointed comment. I think taking off Ozil, it reminded me a little of the Joe Willock thing. Um, In the Europa League final. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I look forward to um, Mesut Ozil being dropped for a few weeks, Arsenal not playing very well, everyone saying Ozil's got to come back in, Ozil coming back in against someone who aren't very good, playing quite well for a bit, then not really doing anything, getting dropped again, and just continuing this cycle for the next two or three years or whatever he's got left on his contract. Yeah. It's going to be fun. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, it, it is, um, it's a, it is a predictable cycle. I mean, I was, I was surprised actually by how, by what Freddie said in his press conference and his post-match interview in that, you know, he's clearly, um, he clearly regards Herzl as quite an important part of the team. He started every game under him. Mm. Uh, and and yet he was, you know, he, he, without sort of being obviously critical, it was quite clear, I think, the subtext of what he was saying. Mm. What did you make of Ozil's reaction to being substituted? Because it felt to me like, I, you can tell me better because mm. you were there and you would have been able to hear what was going on far better than I um, could via the television, but it felt just on the edge of getting a bit Xhaka. Oh, um, yeah, definitely. Because, definitely. because he took his time. He really took his time coming off. And look, I get it. You don't want to be subbed. I get it. It's been a difficult day for Arsenal. I get it. It's demoralizing to to be at Arsenal and to, to see the gulf between you and Manchester City. And I'm not sort of excusing uh, Ozil or, or anything like that. I understand why he would be unhappy with himself, with the team and all those kind of things. But having seen what went on with Xhaka just a few weeks ago, in in not... Um, completely different circumstances. You know, just just break just into jog. a light trot, a <laughs> little jog, and just sort of, you know, give a little clap and then sit down on the bench and be as fucked off as you want on the bench. But don't. It just felt, oh, he should have handled that better, I thought. 
Yeah, yeah. And I have to say, certainly where I was in the press box and certainly the fans around me, it was close. It was close to the Shaka thing. If he, if Ozil had given sort of the slightest sign that he was um, biting back at the supporters and that was the big difference, it could have turned really, really ugly because there were already boos, there were already shouts of frustration and he didn't walk any quicker as a consequence. So that was a... Uh, yeah, just another sort of unfortunate incident on the day. And mm. what did you make of Freddie Subs generally? I mean, it felt quite pointed to me that he brought on three academy players. Yeah. Um, it kind of felt like sort of twofold. On the one hand, a sort of uh, indicator of the lack of squad depth, maybe, that he has in certain areas. I mean, he did leave experienced players like Louise and, and Lacazette out entirely, but also mm. uh, of a, a not particularly veiled criticism of some of the senior players who I think, you know, do, do amidst all this mess have to be looked at because they're not stepping up and leading and, you know, managing themselves. They're just not mm. really doing that. Yeah, look, I think it's been quite pointed from Freddie. You know, he's said it more than once. You know, he's said more than once he needs clarity from the from the club about, um, you know, what was going on. But he's also made it clear that the senior players are the ones who need to who need to do more to haul us out of this. And yeah, I think you're right, because for me, the kind of obvious change when Kolasinac got injured was to put Louise on, move Chambers to right back and move Maitland-Niles to left back. Mm. Instead, he puts on an 18-year-old winger at left back. Mm. To me, that's pointed. Taking mm. off Ozil for Smith-Rowe, that's pointed. You know, an hour into the game, that's definitely pointed you know if it was with 10 minutes to go you wouldn't bat an eyelid really at that yeah. change but you know to bring Smithrow on for his Premier League debut and to say it's because he wanted more energy in midfield then um, yeah you read plenty into that and also the fact that late on I know the game was gone and there was no chance of us winning but Lacazette stays on the bench Joe Willock uh, is the one that comes on um, yeah I think that's a message it's a message. It's a message that, you know, A, this is the way we have to go. This is the way we have to to rebuild. These these players uh, are going to have to be a, a significant part of the building blocks for the new Arsenal, whatever that might be. Mm. But also I think it's an illustration to those above that the fact we're reliant on them as much as we are is a contributory factor in in, you know, the team's performance and where we are this season. You know, and that's yeah. not to be critical of them. We all have very high hopes of what these young players could bring, but they're they're um, they don't have any experience of this. They don't have any experience of uh, you know a football team going through this kind of a period, um, and it is quite seismic when you look at it from the outside and you step back objectively and you you, you think this is Arsenal that this is happening to. It's not to say we we're, we should be immune from that or anything else, but we can't expect too much from these kids. You know, had they come into a team that was playing really well, I think we would have seen more from them, but they can't be expected to rescue us. Just can't. No. I mean, I think we finished with six players who were under the age of 22 on the field um, against the champions. And mm. it's difficult. I mean, even Chelsea, you know, who we were sort of casting vaguely admiring glances at a few weeks ago they've hit a, a tricky patch of form and 
when young players go through that, it's maybe not as easy for them to turn it round. They don't have the experience of having been there before. Mm. Um, but I think that, yeah, it, it, it's tricky. I mean, you want to blood those young players. You want to build for the future. But I think if you look at any team that does that successfully, they also have certain tentpole senior players who lead that group, who set an example, who, you know, provide a bit of a spine to the, that squad and that team. And I'm not sure... I just don't think the guys who we would look to to do that are quite doing that at Arsenal. Mm. So... Where do you think this leaves us now in terms of the season or in terms of the appointment? Um, are you expecting that to happen this week? Well, I I, 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 I guess I am now, um, mm. given the Arteta stuff. I mean, it would be... You've got to hope he's the number one choice and that that hasn't leaked and now they might be in a position where they're like, oh shit, he wasn't the guy. I mean, I think we can safely assume that he is. Um, I think something I think something has to happen this week and whether it's that Mikel Arteta arrives and you know takes over from Freddie or whether it's that it's announced that he will do that at the end of the season and that Freddie will go through to the end of the season... Either way, some clarity has to be offered. And if it is to be Freddie until the end of the season, uh, you've got to give him the support. You've got to give him the staff. You've got to give him the infrastructure to make a fist of the job. You know, as the fans mm. were singing in the stadium last night, Freddie Jumberg, it's not your fault. Um, but, you know, if Arteta comes now, I guess so much the better because he's got six months of the Premier be a bit of a a free hit for him. Mm. What do you think? I just think it's got to to the point where, yeah, they either have to back Freddie if they want to give it to him uh, until the end of the season to give him staff, um, which I don't think they're going to do. Um, I, I think it's probably going to be Arteta. I know this could be famous last words because <laughs> we've done this before. Mm. Um, I, do you I think that, Go on. Do you think there's any chance that he'll say, I don't want to take this mid-season? Potentially, I just wonder. I just wonder how often you get the chance to become manager of Arsenal. I Twice, know. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, um, I mean, yeah, yeah. You're, you're right. You know, I, I think. Um, I think in some ways, I, I know people will be slightly disillusioned by the Arteta appointment. You know, a lot of people will say, and I understand it completely, we should get somebody with a uh, managerial experience. That seems mm. like a fairly obvious prerequisite for any job, right? Mm. Ever flown a plane before? No? Well, just have a go. You'll be fine. Um, the, the fact that we are where we are, though, I think suits, suits is maybe not the right word, but makes a candidate like Arteta the best kind of candidate rather than somebody who's going to be asked to come in and make an immediate difference, if you like. So an Ancelotti, for example. Yeah. Yeah. The expectation with him would be that he come in, shore things up, steady the ship, set us on the right track again, and off we go. Whereas I think Arsenal are in absolute need of a rebuild 
a complete mm. rebuild of the team. Mm. And it strikes me that if you if you bring in Arteta now, like you say, the rest of the season is, in Premier League terms, if not quite a free hit, there is no expectation that we're going to do much more than finish somewhere around 10th or 8th or something like that. Potentially, we could get into the Europa League places if we start winning some games again, right? But there's no there's no point talking about top four or, or any of that sort of stuff. So what you do is you give him those six months to um, gain experience and to put in place the the sort of plans that he has, hopefully, in tandem with the club to start rebuilding and going again and to, to get us back to, to where we want to be. Because as we said the other day, this isn't just a, a one or two players thing. It's not like signing one or two players. We need one or two or three or four transfer windows to properly rebuild this team. And I think maybe a, a candidate like Arteta, who's in it for the long term, you know, this is a long, medium to long term strategy, mm-hmm. um, is, is better suited to where we are right now. Yeah, and I think what we know about Arteta is that he will want to implement a style of play. He will want to change the identity of this team. And that is not something, let's say he takes over this week, that's not something he's going to be able to do in two days before the Everton game. You know, that's something that's going to take time. I mean, think of Pep Guardiola. His first season at Manchester City wasn't all that great. You know, there was a, pr- a price to be paid as he as he shifted the team towards the model that he wanted. Uh, I think they finished fourth, was it, in his first season? So yeah. I think we have to accept that there will be growing pains to get to where we need to go. Um, and maybe the advantage of Arteta coming in now is that he gets a few months of that, you know, before next season. And then he can really assess what he's got and make some decisions ahead of the next campaign. I'm not saying there's no obligation to improve things between now and the end of the season. Of course, we all want to see that. But I think if you appoint Arteta, it's not a quick fix. It's not someone who, you know, it's not like a relegation team bringing in an Allardyce, someone to get a job done, to get us over the line. It's, it's, It's a project. It's a project. And I think... Yeah, I think a bit of patience might be required because we're a long way off right now. Yeah, the other thing is to point out, we can't continue the way we're going at this moment. Like, I don't mean just results Mm. and performances because we all know they're not great, but we can't... It's unfair to Freddie Jumberg to ask him to do this job without the right support. Mm. It's not serious, is it to have the academy manager as kind of a part-time assistant head coach, no. assistant interim head coach, you know, the goalkeeping coach? I'm, I'm not just sort of casting any aspersions on him or anything like it. But, you know, this is a modern football club. I saw um, some pictures. Um, I don't know whether it's true or not. I don't know if you saw this, but but some people were saying that the club doctor was doing yeah, some of school, yeah. was doing some of the warm-up. I mean, what? What is that? That's just not serious. Yeah, you can't I, you can't continue like that, even with the best of intentions. And I'm sure Freddie is working as hard as he can possibly work, and and everything else. You can't set someone up to fail 
in that way. And right now, the the, the board, the football executive committee, it, you know, I think we should um, make it on them rather than the the sort of the traditional board are setting him up to fail and they're setting the club up to fail and the team up to fail, which isn't to say that players can't do more, et cetera, et cetera, but you have to, you have to stop it and, Mm. and make it right. And that's why I think an appointment this week, unless they, they commit to give Freddie some staff, they have to make an appointment this week. Otherwise we're going to lose our next game. We are. We are, and, uh, and and we'll lose a few more. I mean, there's some tough fixtures coming up, and one of the things that I thought watching the game against City was how, you know, where White might be be come the start of January. If you look at the teams we have to play between now and then, um, I don't think we can afford to be this bad for much longer. I just think it, it will really put a lot of things in jeopardy. So... Mm. Yeah, I, I, I think it got to a point last night where pretty much everyone looked at it and thought, look how long it's taken the club to make a decision here. Now, if it is the case that they had to wait for Arteta till after the City match, then maybe that you know that's some mitigation for them. But now that that's out the way, something has to be done. Because, yeah. as you said at the very top, we, we look a bit rudderless right now. We sure do. We sure do. Okay, look, um, unless there's anything else from yesterday that you want to touch on, uh, any of the other fantastic performances or... Uh, (laughs) No, there isn't really. There isn't. Uh, Okay. The less said, the better. The less said, the better. Okay, well, look, um, we will take a break here. We're going to come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at ArsBlog. Also on the ArsBlog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the ArsBlog and on the ArsBlog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you're an ArsBlog member on Patreon. James, exciting news later today. Nothing to do with the new manager, but we'll find out who we're going to face in the Europa League. Mm. When the draw takes place at supposedly midday, but as ever, those things... Presumably, uh, you know. about nine o'clock tonight. Yeah. Uh, yeah, any preferences? Um, Aldershot? <laughs> Someone who's not very good is necessary. Can we play ourselves? <laughs> <laughs> I wish. I wish, Andrew. Who, um, who are our potential... Um, our, we should have looked this I up. I don't know. I was sort of quite aware of who the... Uh, potential scary ones were if we didn't win the group but obviously we did so I'm not as clear now yeah Uh, I found one from 
2018, but that's no good. That's not going to help us. Um, Let me see if I can find one here. Okay. Um, So we're in pot one. So we could... I've got the list here. Okay. So we could play... I'll say the name and you say yes or no as to whether you would take that draw. Okay. Apoel. No. (laughs) Copenhagen. No. Hetafe. No. Sporting Lisbon. No. Cluj. No. Rangers. No. Ludogorets. No. Wolfsburg. No. Roma. No, 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 no. AZ Alkmaar. No. Club Bruges. No. Olympiakos. No. No. Shakhtar Donetsk. No. And Bayer Leverkusen. No. Okay, well, we're looking forward to the draw. Yep, it's going to be a fun, fun afternoon in the... In the UEFA Palace. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, look, there are some teams there that you would obviously um, ordinarily fancy us to do, <laughs> to do well against. Uh, but, you know, look, this game is not going to take place until February. So by then, I'm pretty we'll sure... We'll be transformed. Mickey Arteta's Red and White Army. Exactly. Be on the march. We'll be, we'll be back on track. So bring them all on, I say. That's what I say. <laughs> At once, all at once. All all of them. Um, Okay, let's get into some questions and let's stick with the Arteta thing uh, because, look, if nothing else, we should discuss Mikel Arteta Mm. until the point where they give the job to Marcelino. Yeah. All right? So (laughs) let's let's do that. Let's do that. And if it happens again, Mikel, we're sorry. It's obviously our fault. We jinxed you. The club are doing it to spite us. I believe that. Um, Spiffle Spaffle, who is on the mm. Discord, says, if we hire Arteta, do we not have the same problem that Freddie currently has? No backroom staff, which is apparently a major reason he didn't get the job last time. Do you think uh, Mikel slash Freddie slash the club actually know what coaches they might want? How much importance should we actually place on backroom staff? Yes, interesting. I mean... <sighs> I have to think Freddie has some idea who he'd like. It'd be quite strange if he was sort of publicly saying, get me some coaches. And then if they turn around and said, all right, who? And he was like, well, I haven't thought about that. I mean, that would be odd. Um, And I think as well, Mikel Arteta, given that him not having a coaching staff was uh, one of the alleged reasons that his candidacy ultimately fell by the wayside in 2018, um, yeah, 2018. Uh, I think he will have thought about it too, but surely. Yeah, of course. But like he would have had staff that time too. You know, he wouldn't have just sort of come into the job and then gone, ooh, I think I probably need an assistant coach and a goalkeeping coach. He would have had yeah. that, you know. So that I, I, I think maybe, maybe that was just something that was put out there. You know, it's very possible. I mean, I, I, I know what you mean. I mean, in terms of sort of where you get them from, who knows? But it, there'll be plenty of people that who have a personal connection with. I'm sure there'll be people at Man City that he would like to take with him. Whether or not that will be feasible is is quite hard to say. But yeah, uh, there are some names in circulation, aren't there? But there are. Yeah, I mean, think of, think of if not someone he's um, did he ever play with. You know his his best friend from San Sebastian, uh, who's now a sure. Real Sociedad. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? But there are, you know, there there will be people. I'm sure. I, I it, it's not something that worries me massively. It feels like something that Arsenal 
Um, might require a bit of work and might require paying the money to get the mm. right people, but that's what we should be doing. Uh, my big question is, if it is Arteta, what happens to Freddie? I mean, I think that's mm. kind of fascinating. And actually, um, there was a question along those lines, which was from... Uh, Lord Samba uh, on the Discord and Samba said do you think our executive team will take exception to Freddie putting the onus on them to hire a new manager would hate to see them move him out of the club entirely over such a thing but it seems like something they might do yeah it wouldn't surprise me one bit if they shafted him really yeah it wouldn't but maybe there's room for Freddie with whoever's whoever's in there Um... my personal opinion is that as fans one of the qualities we should really look for in whoever takes over as head coach is someone who's prepared to publicly call out the people above them. Yeah. I I think that's incredibly attractive about Freddie, and I'd like to think, if it's Arteta, he'll be prepared to do the same, because I think given some of our concerns about the way the club is run, Mm. someone who is you know purely interested in the football side, talking about those things and putting that pressure on... Is important. I mean, Nuno Emery, for the most part, towed the company line. He kind of did, but he also kind of didn't. Right. There were moments yeah. where he sort of said, we need to do more in the transfer market. And, you yeah. know, he was quite clear at one point where he said, the, re- the way you get, the way you become very good is to buy the best players. You know, and there was there were some moments where he definitely said things. Um, I don't think it had any real um, impact on his relationship yeah. with the board. But you're right, you know, to say that whoever comes in should be demanding. Because mm-hmm. um, they've got to be demanding of this club in, in many areas, um, particularly when it comes to recruitment, which is something that is probably still going to be above the the head coach, right? This system that we have where the club basically buys the players. Um, I think if it's Arteta or whoever it is comes in and doesn't demand better from the scouting setup and from the recruitment setup, they're they're going to end up struggling themselves, no matter how hard hard they work and how hard they try. So yeah, I really want somebody who will come in and and uh, and demand as much as possible, because what they'll be doing is demanding um, things which will make the team better. This isn't really about personal glory or anything like that. I mean, the two things kind of go hand in hand. If if uh, a head coach does well, then the team does well. And, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it's about what's, you know, what's best for the club. And I think there are too many aspects of the football club um, that, that need improvement um, for somebody to just, you know, come in and go, well, okay, I'll work within the confines of what you give me because what they've given uh, the club over the last number of years both um, when Arsene Wenger was in charge and when Unai Emery was in charge, hasn't been good enough. Mm. Yeah, and on the subject of recruitment, I can't imagine Mikel Arteta having the sort of personality where he'll be prepared to just not have a say in that matter. You know, I think he does strike me as someone who will be quite particular mm. about what what suits him. Well, wouldn't you, like, wouldn't any manager, You'd any like potential so. head coach, look at the situation at Arsenal right now and in any discussion that they're going to have with the club, with the executives and with the people doing the hiring, every single one of them is going to say, we need more 
in the transfer market than we've got. We 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 absolutely have to rebuild and we have to do it uh, over time and what have you, but there are certain fundamentals, certain building blocks that need to be put in place to to start that process. And I, I, I find it hard to believe that any head coach will come in without insisting that at least one defender worth his salt is 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 bought in January and maybe mm-hmm. a midfielder too because you know without those building blocks how difficult is it going to be yeah I think that's fair I think that's right uh, but I also think that sort of in the attacking part of the pitch for example I think any coach who comes in will be excited to work with some of the the young talent that we've got and mm-hmm. I know we've we talked about Martinelli but I know we've maybe not seen quite the explosive impact you might anticipate or hope for from a Reese Nelson or, or even a Saka or a Smith Rowe but there is a lot of ability there and Arteta one of the things he's credited with at City is working with individuals and improving them you know I mean particularly in the case of Raheem Sterling I've always seen mm. Arteta linked with him talking about his movement you know what he needs to do off the ball so I think that there are still raw ingredients that are quite exciting for a potential coach but you're right some of the fundamental building blocks of the team need to be improved and the way we do business needs to be improved. You know, if if it is going to be led by a technical director or, or, or analytics department, if there's going to be that kind of input, it needs to be justified. It needs to produce results because at the moment, the money that we spend in the summer, yeah. it's very difficult to justify. Yeah, and this is where Edu now starts to come into the equation. Yeah, for sure. You know, this is... Um, this is a period in the club's history where he has a huge measure of responsibility and we know he arrived late in the summer and he was, you know, there and quite happy to have his picture taken with all the new signings and that's lovely and, you know, everyone everyone enjoys the signing and we've been over this, you know, before um, about how we feel about new signings and, and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, these are decisions um, that he's going to be involved in that will have a significant impact on where this football club is going in the future. Mm. And... Mm. The recruitment, the the implementation of a kind of philosophy, a footballing philosophy, I think we've lost our way in that regard. You know, we, we went too far from Wenger's um, philosophy, which we all knew and understood, which was attacking football and focus on our own strengths to Emery's focus on the opposition and be terrified of them. You know, it went too far the other way. But I think one of the things that whatever this new project um, has in store for us, it has to be built around something that we can all identify with and that makes sense on a footballing level. How are we going to play? What what way are we going to play? How are we going to achieve that? How are we going to um, be, if we want to be an attacking side, how are we going to develop that? You know, It's not just about buying attackers because you can't attack properly unless you have a good defensive platform as well. So I think it's really important that that um, a, that's put in place, and B, perhaps that that is communicated to us in in some ways. That that you know, when it happens, when the appointment is made, we hear from somebody who says, "This is what I want to do. This is how I'm going to do it. It is going to take a bit of time um, until we get there." I think I think that's so so important because we're all scratching around in the dark, and it's not much fun because we're scratching each other in bits we don't want to scratch. 
<laughs> we are on this podcast. Mm. Um, what about this position, though, from Kwame Adoom on Twitter, who says, there's no evidence that Arteta is any good other than hearsay from Man City. How and why are so many people convinced he'll be any good? And if he wasn't an ex-player, would any of us give him a second look? Um, I guess it's about what people have said about him. Arsenal were prepared. He's obviously impressive enough that Arsenal were basically going to give him the job 18 months ago until we know what happened where they went with Emery at the last minute, right? Mm. So I think Guardiola has said more than once that Arteta is a really really good coach, a very important part of his staff. The Man City players have talked about what a great coach he is. And I know, you know, the, there is a there is a risk factor here because there's a difference between a, a good coach and a good head coach, you know? Mm. Um, somebody, for example, from Arsenal's past who was always considered an amazing coach was Don Howe. Like yeah. a brilliant, brilliant coach who players loved working with and learned a lot from. But when he was in the the big job... Didn't quite, didn't quite do it. He was better as, you know, maybe a number two or somebody who worked on the training ground. And there have been, you know, a number of examples of that. Think of uh, Brian Kidd, you know, at Manchester yeah. United, who was Ferguson's number two and, and widely considered, you know, a, a brilliant coach because Ferguson wasn't one of those who always took training. It was Brian Kidd. Brian Kidd coached the players and everyone thought, you know, he could make the step up. He never really did make the step up no. to the main job. He's Man City now, yeah. I believe. Yeah, so look, he is, it is a risk. It is a risk. But I think at this point, Arsenal are in a situation where it's probably worth going for. Yeah, I mean, there are only if so many yeah, managers sorry. we can get. Like, yeah. I don't think we could get a Ten Hag or, you know, a Nagelsmann. I really, I'm not convinced that Arsenal walking into this job would be top of their agenda right now. No. Um, I think we probably could get someone like an Ancelotti who is a, you know, a proven manager with a good track record. But... I, yeah. I listened uh, to um, second captains during the week that Gabriel Marcotti on talking about yeah. um, Ancelotti and maybe just not the right guy for, for this kind of a project because this isn't a... This isn't a skim job. This isn't come in and just sort of make everyone feel good about themselves. It's, uh, you know, it's a total rebuild job. And that's not really what he's set up for. No, I, I agree with that. And I think his record demonstrates that. And if you, I think there are also other concerns with him. If you listen to some of the players at, at Bayern Munich, say, talk about his training, um, they weren't too enamoured with it. So, you know, there is a slight sense that he might be... <laughs> yesterday's man perhaps as well Mm. Um, Arteta is a massive gamble it would have been a gamble two years ago it's a gamble now but I think it is a gamble that it is worth Arsenal taking Um, you know I also feel that having gone down that avenue once and not done it and things and having not panned out it does make sense to go back and say well maybe we were wrong Mm. Let's give this guy a go. He came so close last time. Obviously, whatever he did or said in interviews was enough to get him to the precipice of getting that job. He's now more experienced. He's had more time to think about what his management style would be like, who he'd work with. Let's give him that opportunity. And look, what's the worst case? The worst case is 
it doesn't get better. Uh, and, you know, then That's we pretty, move on. still pretty bad, though. <laughs> that is bad. That is bad. But, I mean, every appointment is a risk. I could give you any manager, probably, with the exception of Guardiola or Klopp, and someone might have an objection. Yeah, um, I think that's fair, yeah. And I think... We don't know that Arteta is what we hope he is, but if he is, then this is got a potential upside there that's really exciting. And I said this the other week, but I think Arsenal, you know, historically, what's the most successful managerial appointment in our history? It's Arsene Wenger. Nobody wanted that guy. Nobody yeah. said, let's have him. He didn't have a, a, a track record in England at all. Um, he'd done his work in France and Japan, and he was not a known figure in this country. Arteta... He arrives here, granted, having not done the job before, but I just think it's worth a go. I can't be more emphatic than that. I can't say it will work. He is the son of Guardiola. We are going to be a Manchester City-esque swashbuckling side within 18 months, but it's got to be worth a go, hasn't it? I think so. There's an element of desperate times call for desperate measures. Yeah. To it, you know? Um I mean, I mean, something we talked about a lot is let's put an experienced hand in, you know, Rafa Benitez. Let's get someone in who can just organise and shape this team. Do you think that this flies in the face of that? I'm not sure it does, really, because although he hasn't done it before, working with Guardiola, there's such structural rigour to his teams that surely that's mm. rubbed off on Arteta to an extent. Well, look, Arteta was brought up at Barcelona, you know, um, as, as a young player, he never made it there. But, you know, you get a great footballing education and he's worked with he's worked with really functional managers like David Moyes. And he's worked with uh, Walter Smith at Rangers, so sort of old school British managers. Um, he's worked with Arsene Wenger. He's worked with Pep Guardiola. He's obviously a very single minded guy, knows what he wants. He's, he was pretty clear in his interview with the official Arsenal website when he retired, what kind of a manager he would be and what way he would want his teams to play. Mm. Um I just think that that we're in a sort of I won't say unique situation but but this is a um a time in the history of this football club where maybe we need a, a risky decision maybe we yeah. need to take that chance we 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 have to take stock and look at where we are and think okay uh, as you said last week on 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 the show we tried the quick fix you know, the quick fix was bringing in Obama Yang, bringing in Mkhitaryan, bringing in um, Unai Emery. You know, it didn't work. It didn't work. And now we're sort of in a freefall situation, which we've got to. Yeah, we're not getting back up and, and getting to the top of the top of the race straight away. We've got to work our way back there. And I think the sensible way to do it is to is to put in place a, a, a medium to long term plan to get there. Mm. Um, and I think if you appoint somebody like Arteta, it perhaps uh, manages the expectations a little bit, if you like. Do you know what I mean? Because I think we're just in a situation where a lot of managers will look at us and say, I don't want, I don't want that. I don't want that job. No. I, and you know, I don't want to be the guy taking the flat. Yeah. I mean, Christ. Yeah. Who wants that? But... but yeah, I and think. A, a wide acceptance that we are where we are. We need to step back, take stock, take a deep breath, 
and go again, you know, wipe the slate clean almost and and go again and it'll take us some time to get there, I, I think is probably the best thing for, for everyone. Mm. And just on the point about would we be looking at him if he wasn't an ex-player, I really think we would, actually. I, I'm not sure the fact that Arteta played for Arsenal is a massive factor in this, personally. I just don't think that he's held in the same regard as your Vieira or Thierry Henry. You know, he's an Arsenal player, but he's not an icon in that way. He's not even an icon in the way I would argue that Freddie Jumberg is. Um, so I think he is being assessed mm. on his own criteria, actually. And I think that even if he didn't have that association, I think we would all be maybe even more intrigued by the prospect of him as a coach because, you know, there'd be that sort of element of mystery. I mean, this is a guy with an exceptional reputation within football. Yeah, like, I mean, do we do we accept that leaving their money aside and their horrific ownership to one side, do we accept that Manchester City are a very well-run football club? I think exactly. we do. Yeah. And word is that, you know, they would be prepared to let Arteta take over from Pep Guardiola mm-hmm. uh, if, um, you know, as and when that time comes. So if, if that's good enough for Man City, and I know it's a slightly different job because you're just sort of carrying on and you're, you're sort of passing the baton and City are so strong that it makes it perhaps a little bit easier in that regard. Um, but if they're willing to, you know, reportedly willing to let Arteta be their manager, then can we be sniffy about that? No, I don't think so. And let's say it was um, a club abroad that we had less contact with. Let's say it was Barcelona Mm. and they'd had the success that Man City had had in recent years and there was a a young coach there who was kind of the anointed successor and, you know, one of Mm. the most talked about promising coaches in Europe. I think we'd all be kind of super excited about that. And... uh, yeah, I think it is. I think it is a really appealing prospect. I mean, one of the things you mentioned there is him being associated with taking over from Guardiola. Do you think, or do you worry, there's any risk that he might um, not take this job if it's offered to him? I guess it depends what sort of what sort of depends a feeling he, knows, he gets. Yeah, it? what he knows and what the board, or, you know, the football executive committee, you know. Is there going to be money for him to spend? Is there going to be support from um, from on high as he puts into place his ideas and philosophy at the club? Mm. You know, is there going to be recruitment? Um, yeah, I think if he gets the assurances that he's quite entitled to ask for, then I think he'll take the job. If it's being offered to him and it's a case that, well, you can't spend any money, you're going to have to work with what you've got for the next 12 months, use all these young players, use these um, defenders that aren't worth talking about, then I think you would be right to to consider his options and and maybe give it a swerve. But I I think if if he's... If he's sold on the idea that he can be given the control that he wants as well, along with along with the the resources and and everything else that he will need to make things better, then I think he'll take it. 
Because, mm. you know, like you say, um, I, I don't know that, they, that it would come up a third time for him. No, I think, you know, this is, uh, if it's going to happen, this is the time. Um, mm. And I guess cynically, I mean, it sort of saddens me to say this, but Arsenal is a good opportunity in that, you know, because we're doing quite so badly, I think anyone who elicits any sort of turnaround or upward trajectory, I think that will reflect well upon. Mm. And and, it, and if he's a super ambitious manager, it's possible he might not even see Arsenal as kind of the end destination for him, you know? No. So, but I think we have to accept that. That's just where we are at the moment in football. Yeah. Um, but it's still a great opportunity for a, man, for a guy who's not managed a game. It's still a, a hell of an opportunity to walk into a club of this size. Mm. Um, yeah. I, 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 think, I think he would take it as well. I think if you are ambitious, there is a, such an opportunity to improve things mm. uh, that I think it's, it's worth the gamble on his part. Mm. Here's a question from Gaz Arsenal, who's at Gaz underscore Arsenal. You've been given Raoul's job. You can implement three realistic things slash changes that will make a difference to us in the short term. What would you do? What am I allowed? Three things. Say that again. Yeah, three realistic things or changes that will make a difference to us in the short term. What would you do? Um, well, I point at a head coach. <laughs> yeah, good one. There's an easy one. That'd be where I'd start. Yeah, good idea. And, and good idea. I tell you what, in order, in I, I won't make point to give them some staff. I'll I'll incorporate that in point one, um, just to give us you know a bit more variety in terms of answers. Yeah. Uh, so a coach and his staff would be nice. Um, point two. I think I would make decisions on players whose contracts are running down. So be that Lacazette or Aubameyang you know there was a lot of talk of well when a player gets to within two years we will be making a decision on them yeah. and that hasn't really happened actually when is Lacazette's I, he might have a one more year I think I'm not he sure he might have an, an extra year than than Aubameyang I mean let's let's look at the uh, ever useful transfer marked who tend to get most of these right yeah um 2022. Mm. So he's got time. But... uh, Five-year deal. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. Even so, you know, I think... I think this club still doesn't sell well enough. And we kind of... um, We kind of thought that that might be because... A lot of the the blame for that was laid at the door of even Gazidis. You know, the Aaron Ramsey situation or the Danny Welbeck situation. But... I think it is an ongoing issue. Um, one thing that I think we need, in order to maximise our resources, we need to make sure we turn a profit on our players. Mm. Um, in the short term, though, is the question. It's difficult, yeah. It's difficult. It's got to be a point of head coach, a point of staff. And I suppose in the very short term, <clears throat> investigate the possibilities of the January transfer window. I mean, I don't think... There's sort of a two-way argument about it. One is we're in such dire straits, we desperately need to do something. The other is we're in such dire straits, we don't want to get things wrong by making a short-term signing. We might as well 
wait if we believe we'll get it right in the longer term, you know? Mm. Um, mm. I, it's very hard. I mean, it's very hard in the short term. It is hard in the short term. I think the first thing I would do if I was given the job is resign. Right. <laughs> and give it to somebody competent. Um, I think maybe some uh, something around communication from the club or, or fans, that might be something I would look at too. Yeah, I guess I, I'd sort of I'd shove Edu out in front of a press conference or something, just so that there is a sense, or maybe not Edu, maybe Raoul himself, just so that there is a... But you're the head of football. Take it on, man. Sit there. Well, true, but then why have I got a technical director? To direct the technicals. Mm, of course, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, whoever it is, I think having someone take responsibility for the project and yeah. say, this is what we're doing, yeah. would be good. Yeah, like you don't have to give away trade secrets. You don't have to, you know, explain in full detail how exactly you're going to make things happen. But if you leave fans in the dark, it's never good. Well, they'll fill in the gaps in the way that suits yeah. them. Yeah. And that won't suit you. I mean... Listen, I think it is hard. I mean, I don't look at the situation now. We can talk all we like about being patient and it's going to take time. Mm. I I worry that that patience doesn't really exist, If I, to be frank. like, Well, I, yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you, but I also think that if, if communication is right, then you can get people on board. It gives you a better chance, that's for sure. Yeah. Think of all the examples of the like the... The AGMs every year as they got really difficult and, and toxic and people would be going crazy at Stan Kroenke. Absolutely crazy and, you know, rightly so. And then Arsene Wenger would step up, take the microphone and people were kind of in thrall mm. to, to what it was that he had to say because he was such a good communicator. Um, I, yes, I think true. I think if you can explain, if you can communicate clearly, if you can show that there's a, a very um, defined plan, you know, if you're believable, I just don't know that we have that person at the club, you know, who can who can really take on that role and take on that mantle. And maybe it will be on whoever the new head coach is to, to, to be the voice of the football club. And you know, whatever else about Arteta, you know, he's he's always spoken very well. I'm very, um, I don't think he's quite up there with Arsene Wenger. There's, you know, he's a bit more wooden, but, mm. you know, the things that he has to say, you know, as captain of the club are always, are always pretty decent. So maybe the, the onus will be on him, but somebody at the football club has got to communicate what's going on clearly to fans because, you know, right now we're sort of, we're not getting any of that and it's it's a problem. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Sean Adams on Twitter says, thinking about those from the academy who've done quite well at Arsenal or elsewhere, and he lists Wilshire, Woby, Nabry, Marlon, Jeff, Saka, Benesser, Nelson, why do you think so few are defensive players? That's a really good question. I think because... There's a, a genuine dearth of defensive talent. I think teams are more interested in attacking players. I feel yeah. like, 
you know, if you're if you're looking for a, a young player, like how excited are we about William Saliba? And we're sort of going, this 18-year-old, this is great. You know, he's going to be the, the future of our defense, which, mm-hmm. of course, is, you know, not at all um, unrealistic uh, to put that kind of pressure on an 18-year-old. But, you know, there's an element of novelty to it because 18-year-old center halves who are that well-regarded and that well-thought-of are very, are very rare. Had a few in our time at Arsenal. You think about Senderos and you think about Juru, who, when they broke through first, were really, really promising defenders. Um, I, I just think that that teams are always looking for somebody who can make a difference higher up the pitch. Um, mm. And yeah, I do wonder if players, do young players want to be defenders anymore? Well, I think there's definitely been a trend particularly in English football over the last five years or so, well, going a bit further, it probably goes back much further than that, but because England were extremely good for a long time at producing centre-forwards and centre-halves, but maybe less good at producing uh, technical, creative players, there was a big drive to reverse that trend in, in, in Britain. And it's been really successful. You know, England have started producing people like you know, Raheem Sterling or in our own case, you know, you've got Saka and, uh, you know, Nelson. People have got significant technical ability. But Mm. one of the consequences of that has been, I think, that we are producing less uh, defensive players, less, just less of them and less good quality. So I think there's a trend at play. I also think the reason that we don't have young defenders come through is because of just the cost of playing a young defender as we know they make mistakes they cost you points and consequently at a big club it's just more likely that when they need a centre half or, or whatever it is they'll buy one rather than bring one through mm. um, you know it, it just tends to work that way you do get exceptions people like Tony Adams or John Terry who come in young and stay there but it's pretty rare it's pretty rare so I guess that is why. I also think when I look at the defenders at Arsenal and how they performed maybe at their previous clubs or how they go on to perform with other clubs, I think we can conclude the defensive coaching has not been up to scratch. Uh, And if you're a young player coming through, you desperately need that. Mm. Um, So I think there are a lot of reasons. And I... And certainly when we look at our academy now, I mean, we're in a situation now where we haven't got a left-back, Kolasinac and Tierney both injured, and Saka's the best option we have to play there, and that's because there isn't an obvious guy in the academy to come in. So it's not as if... That always staggers me, you know? Yeah, yeah. It always... Like, not just at Arsenal, but, like, you see, you know, a a grizzled old centre-half being asked to play right-back. And you're Mm. thinking, do you not have a right back at your club at any level, whether he's 18, 19, 20 years of age who could just come in and do a job in his natural position. You'd rather play, maybe it says a lot about the state of youth academies or, or whatever, but, you know, it, it, it's always astonished me that that the default is to kind of to crowbar an experienced player into into the team rather than take a risk with a young player. And, I, you know, I get it. Young players um, and young defenders in particular are... are are going to make mistakes, but yeah, I mean, I uh, I was actually even surprised in the City game when it was Saka who came on, as well as he'd done in the Europa League. I thought 
maybe they'll bring Louise on, switch Chambers out to right back, yeah. put Maitland-Niles left back. Because the tendency is to rely on experience, isn't it, in defence? That's the thing. That's another big factor is that where people just go for experience at the back. And if it means us playing four centre-halves, yeah. we've done it, haven't we? So, mm. I'm sure yeah, have. I, but it, it would be... I mean, Arsenal, I think, are so bereft of defensive hopes that I think William Saliba, you know, he's being massively built up. But I think that also there's a cultural thing of we sometimes scoff at the money that is paid for a central defender, but the money that Liverpool spent on Virgil van Dijk is probably the best money anybody has spent in the Premier League in the last five years. Um, in terms of what it's done for them, yeah, it's completely transformed them. I mean, and then... I mean, even Harry Maguire, who people said that was a ridiculous amount of money. Manchester United's defensive record this season is is significantly improved. But it isn't isn't the Van Dyke thing also a an indictment on football clubs' um, unwillingness to take what might be perceived as a risk? You know, Arsenal were interested in Van Dyke when he was at Celtic. And could have got him for, you know, a tenth of the price that Liverpool sure. paid for him. And again at Southampton, you know, mm. in his first season there. And, and yeah, you know, he, yeah, just... Yeah, I think, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I mean... And then you end up getting pushed into a desperate situation where, where you buy, you know, a player like Mustafi for far more than you should have. Yeah, but my gut tells me, and I, I might be wrong. For example, Leicester are being held up as, you know, what a great example. They bought uh, Suinchu and Evans for less than we paid for Mustafi, for example. And, and they've got, I think, the best defence in the league. So I get that. But I also think if we'd bought either of those individuals, I just don't think they'd look as good in this Arsenal team. I, mm. I really, really, really don't. And I'm not saying Mustafi's actually brilliant and it's what's going on around him. Clearly, he's got his own problems as an individual. But I, I just think it's such a mess, this team. And it's so lacking in organisation. The defence is so lacking in protection that these players, their, their flaws, which are there, are being so exposed. Mm. Um, and I think... Structure as well as personnel is what is required in order to sort this out. And if we get that right, maybe we can genuinely turn to a younger player and they can come into a setup and a system that functions properly mm. and have a chance. Mm. Well, look, we'll see. Um, we'll see what happens. Uh, it's obviously one of the key areas that um, whoever it is, uh, Mikel Arteta or whatever, is going to have to going to have to sort out. I, I don't mm. think we can do this podcast without talking about the the situation with Mesodozil and China. So we have a question from Nuna Man, who's at Nuna Nation, uh, said, "What do you think of the club's stance regarding Ozil's comments on on what's going on in China? Um, should players be apolitical? Is this political at all?" Um, and for those who don't know. Ozil released a statement on his Twitter. I'm sure everybody knows yeah. um, about the treatment of Muslims in China, um, detention camps, and and horrific stories that are um, that are doing the rounds. And China's response um, is to basically wipe Mesut Ozil's um, digital footprint off the internet mm -hmm. in China um, to uh, take Arsenal off the television. There, I just. Uh, the state newspaper uh, released a statement saying Ozil's 
put in a clownish performance um, and said Ozil's move has ruined his image amongst Chinese fans and will have serious implications for Arsenal. Um, Arsenal released a statement on, is it Weibo? Is that how you pronounce yeah. it? Which is the Chinese equivalent of Twitter to say that they distanced themselves from Mesut Ozil's comments, their uh, individual comments, and that Arsenal as an uh, institution and organization have always been apolitical. They don't take political stances. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, mm. it's a very... Uh, well, actually, maybe it isn't. So I was going to say it's a very complex issue. I think it's a complex issue for Arsenal to deal with. I don't think it's a complex issue from where you and I are sat. From where you and I are sat, it's clear, I think, that this is you know, something that where Mesut Ozil is clearly in the right. That's my opinion. This is appalling, what's happening in this situation. And I think drawing attention to it is the commendable thing to do. And it's uh, nice to see a footballer using his profile to highlight an issue that I'll be honest I didn't really know very much about mm. so that's great um, I accept that in the case of Meza Ozil sort of politically there is uh, a degree of controversy or ambiguity about the fact that he has this association with President Erdogan again just speaking for me personally I find that distasteful I think that you know Erdogan's human rights record is problematic uh, I'm not at all comfortable with that however that being the case does not, to me, preclude the fact that in this instance, he is right and doing a good thing. Mm. So, I mean, I think Arsenal's response is basically driven by money and finance and commercial interests in China, which we all understand is a massive market for uh, for football clubs. But mm. um, if you can abandon what's right for people and human rights. And if you read a bit about what's going on there, um, it, it's it's very, very troubling, very disturbing. I had an email over the weekend from a, a longtime Chinese reader of the site, um, and he said, uh, for him, Ozil has a, a history of really questionable political positions. His closeness to Erdogan makes me very uncomfortable. But once... Uh, for once, he says, he said something germane. And what is Arsenal's response? Protect the bottom line. And I think that's that's very disquieting, isn't it? Where this football club that we love, that does so much good stuff, and there's no question that Arsenal does a lot of uh, amazing work uh, in the community, um, you know, with its global fan base, you know, raising awareness for issues that, that should be um, given more profile. Uh, you know, the idea of Arsenal values and all those kind of things um, can be just sort of put to one side because it's important that we make money out of China, regardless of what's happening over there. That's hard. That's not, not a good look for the club at all I don't think um, uh, I so I agree I, I I have to say the club deny that that is their incentive in this situation well of course they would but you know but even if it is just to play devil's advocate mm-hmm. do you really think that the majority of fans would be happy to 
see Arsenal, for example, lose out of revenue that affected their ability to be competitive on a on a issue of principle. So I, I think I I would be all right with that, but I'm not sure when I look at how the supporters more generally react to results that. That is the case. I would prefer my football club to do the right thing mm. than make money when it comes right down to it. Yeah. You know? Um, but I wonder... I as well. Yeah, I, I mean, me well. too. But I just wonder is, is... Are we looking for things in football that don't exist anymore? Yeah. Is that realistic, I suppose? Is and it, it's grim to say that. Yeah. But is it? Uh, you know, I mean, people drew comparisons between what Hector Bellerin said, you know, when he urged people to get out and vote and then put in yeah. the hashtag fuck Boris. Yeah. Um, is that going to make a huge amount of difference to Arsenal's um, commercial viability in England? Of course not. So they no. didn't say anything. And it's not as if the club, you know, haven't had people who've taken political positions on things before. You know, um, of course, uh, Arsene Wenger uh, declared his support for Macron in 2017. He spoke about Brexit many times. Well, I mean, I think that that support for Macron was in the face of uh, competition from the the far right in yeah, France. Sure. So it was a stance of this is something that we should be against. Absolutely, but that's that is nonetheless political. Yeah, I mean, of course, yeah. No, I'm agreeing with you. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, look, Arsenal say that, that this is their stance on all these issues. It's just a question of if they get asked about them, right? The difference in China is they have put out a statement um, which they don't normally do. It's unusual mm. for the club to actively come out and distance themselves. Now, my interpretation of that is it's because they've seen what's happened with China and the NBA who were embroiled in a, in a similar row when a somebody tweeted out a tweet in support of protests in Hong Kong and there were significant financial repercussions for the NBA. Um, I think that Arsenal have looked at that and thought, we don't want to be in that boat. And it, yeah, that must inform. That must inform, if not drive, the decision that they've made. And it's... Um, it's... 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 It is crap, Really, it's crap. As a as for me, I'm like, this is shit. Yeah, but I also am like, well, everyone else is taking the Chinese money. If Arsenal are going to be competitive, this is just the sort of slightly shitty world in which Premier League football lives. Yeah, in. I mean, I do wonder. Yeah, look, they want to go to China and grow the fan base there because it is such a huge country, and there's so yeah. many Arsenal fans there, and I'm sure there are many Arsenal fans there right now who, despite what's gone on with Mesut Ozil, are still Arsenal fans and will be Arsenal fans. You know, I don't think um, I don't think that's going to drive everyone away no. or, or anything like that. But the, the other side of it is that I, I don't know that there's, you know, when, when it comes to TV money and that kind of stuff, um, it's collective, isn't it? The Premier League sells its foreign rights on a collective basis and they're doled out to each individual club. So, you know, I do wonder what they're, what exactly they're they're trying to protect here. Um, well, well, I think you know if if you if you want to hold sort of commercial or sponsor relationships, for example, in the future with a Chinese firm, this is going to be 
a potential issue. Oh, I well, do think. Go fucking somewhere else and get your money somewhere else. Well, sure. I mean, but, that might be the where, case. Where, where? Emirates? I mean, there's problems everywhere, mate. <laughs> oh, like... no, no, no. Listen, we, we're... we're um, look at our sleeve sponsor. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's all well and good saying you're apolitical, but you've got a country on the arm of your fucking shirt. Yeah, I know. You know, it is it is depressing, and I know it's the world we live in, and I know that these commercial interests and, and money talks and, and all that kind of stuff... That it's you know we're we're sponsored by Emirates, well, who I have their own issues, you know. Um, exactly, uh, it, it, it's all rather mucky. Uh, um, it is, but does it not come down to this one thing that, like, you can say, okay, well, it's a bit rich for for Ozil to talk about the treatment of Muslims when Erdogan um, is potentially. Um, I got to be very careful about how I word this. His treatment of other ethnic groups might yeah. be seen as as something similar. Um, I mean, I get it. There's maybe there's hypo- hypocrisy in it, but uh, or what about or or whatever you want to call it. But if this is going on in China and Ozil is highlighting a situation in which millions of people are being, um, at the very least, persecuted. Yeah, yeah. Does that take away from the the? The veracity or the 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 rightness—that's not the right word, but you know. No, it's still right. It's still yeah. true, and it's still important. Um, you know, and look, I speak as someone who has sometimes finds Mes- Ozil's use of social media pretty irritating. <laughs> but uh, in this instance, you can't look at it from a moral perspective and see it any differently. Mm. I don't think. I don't think. Yeah. And the bottom line of that is that if Arsenal are willing to overlook that persecution because of commercial interests or the potential of the Chinese market to raise revenue for the football club, it really doesn't reflect well on the institution. And that's what it comes down to for me. And it's very sad, I think. That Yeah. I mean, that's the, the, case. The, the only thing I would add is to say that I know what you say about people will still be Arsenal fans. Speaking to people in China, a lot of Chinese Arsenal fans are extremely unhappy about this. I mean, that's it's anecdotal, but I don't think it's possible for you and I, given our limited access to Chinese culture, mm-hmm. to realise quite how uh, incendiary this is. But from a moral perspective... From our perspective and our cultural perspective, it remains very clear. And I think Arsenal have tried to sort of have their cake and eat it in this situation because they put out something in China, in Chinese. They haven't said anything English language. They haven't put out anything on the official website in English or Mm. Twitter or anything like that. So they've sort of tried to, you know, deal with it without dealing with it. But, yeah, the whole thing makes me feel slightly sick and queasy to be honest mm. it's it, you know it's, we don't have a team that we can be proud of but we would like a club that we could be proud of mm. yeah I don't I don't think I've got anything to add to that no. um, so look I better go and get ready for this Europa League draw yeah yeah just need to start yeah just you know. get the get the juices going again um, see who we see who we're going to play 
Um, and I look forward to John Gregory taking us all the way in the Europa League this season. Yes. Can't wait. It's going to be fun. Okay, look, uh, as ever, folks, thank you very much indeed for listening. Um, we will be back with more. I mean, we're heading into a festive period, so it's going to be a bit sort of up in the air in terms of podcasts as and when we get things done. Oh, you're mm. off to the Football Supporters Association Awards tonight, yourself and Andrew. Alan yes. will be representing Ars Blog. We're up for Best Fran Marita. Best Fran Marita again. Best Fran Marita again. in. There's some uh, some healthy competition in there, so uh, if if we Fran don't himself has Fran actually been himself, nominated. Yeah, yeah. I mean um, he's the original and the best. Yeah, um, but look, best fan media. Who knows? There's some healthy competition. If we don't get over the line this year, enjoy the night. Uh, take full advantage of the free bar. Um, oh, I certainly will. And if Robbie Savage is there, just <laughs> tweak his nipple. That's what I said. I'll send him your regards. Please do. Please do. All right, folks, we will catch you on the next one. Until then. Bye-bye. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 